Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll begin reading with verse 9. First Corinthians six verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you have been, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. I'd like to speak to you tonight on the subject of homosexuality. It's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. And... uh, wondering about trying to give a message on. Why don't we pray here before we go any further? Father, we just ask for your help and your hand upon us now that this might be something that would be profitable for us as we consider this subject that uh, it's not even easy to think about. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to give you some thoughts concerning homosexuality from a Christian perspective. Now, the Christian perspective tonight is mine, but hopefully it's been shaped by the Scriptures. Uh, When I mentioned that I might speak on this subject uh, to someone on Sunday as we were eating uh, the meal, the, the person said, well, that doesn't sound very edifying. And uh, I had to admit, yes, that's the case. Uh, that's one of the reasons I've been somewhat reluctant to speak on this. Another is that it's not an easy subject to deal with in a setting like this with young children present. So... What can I do? It's something we do need to speak about. It's something in the scriptures. So I'll just have to say that I'll try to be careful um, and say things in light of who I'm speaking to here. Uh, As far as concerning the edifying part, I think that God's truth presented with the help of the Holy Spirit, will be edifying. In some way, it will build us up. So if at the end of the time these thoughts are not edifying, it's probably either because they weren't scriptural or they weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we do want God's help. As Christians, we should always be seeking to speak the truth in love. One of the main things I would like you to take away from this time tonight is that as Christians, our compassion for those caught in this sin should be as evident as our stand against the sin. 
this will not be the case if we misrepresent or demonize or make hateful remarks against homosexuals. Many irresponsible, unfair, and even mean-spirited remarks have been made by professing Christians about homosexuality. All this does is make it harder to communicate the gospel to those in need. Homosexuals need to see the reality that God's grace is for them too. They need to see the reality that the love of God has changed people, really changed them. They need to see that we are all broken people needing the power of God to heal us and change us. So we need to keep that in mind whenever we deal with this subject or especially whenever we're dealing with someone who says that they are taking this position. <clears throat> I think just as a broad way to start here, we just have to say that sex is a sacred gift from God, which from the fall of mankind onward has been misused and abused in many ways. The fact is that we all enter this world with broken sexuality, and it takes a work of grace to bring about substantial healing in this area of our lives. That's true for everyone. Perverted sexuality is one of the main areas that Satan has used to attempt to destroy humanity made in the image of God. It's been that way from the very beginning. You start reading in the book of Genesis, you see it. It's something that Satan has over and over again twisted around to try to destroy man made in the image of God and what God's doing. By perverted sexuality, I mean things like being sexually intimate outside of marriage, fornication, being sexually intimate with someone else's spouse, that's adultery, being sexually intimate with an immediate member of your own family, that's incest, being sexually intimate with the same gender, that's homosexuality. And then you have things like bestiality and other things that are not proper to speak of in this setting. These sins in one way or another dishonor the male and female bodies designed by God to come together in a complementary way, in complementary intimacy in marriage. So we're zeroing in here on homosexuality. I think that Paul was referring back to the first chapters of Genesis when he wrote Romans 1, 18 through 32. Let's turn to Romans 1. In relationship to this subject of homosexuality, this is a very important section of Scripture. <clears throat> we won't read the whole section, but you 
can see clearly how Paul describes the degrading passions of female and male homosexuality. He calls them degrading passions. Let's just read this section, starting with verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, or the literal is against nature. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. When Paul talks about the natural function and that which is against nature, he's speaking of the unmistakable gender design of of the sexes. Unmistakable gender design of the sexes. As one writer put it, Paul appeals in Romans 1 to God's intention for male-female sexuality as something that is clearly revealed in nature. The biblical problem with homosexuality is not really about the equality or, or lack of equality of sexual partners. The deepest issue for the biblical authors is the breaking of sexual boundaries that violate obvious components of male-female creation design. To put it simply, the bodily structures of male and female of the male and female are made to complement each other in sexual union. Structurally, men are not made to have sex with men, nor are women made to have sex with other women. It's against nature. Add to this that God's original design for male and female was to be fruitful and multiply, which is not possible in homosexual relations, and you see how unnatural such unions are. The truth is, all of us, straight or so-called gay, know fundamentally that the natural purpose of sex, though not the only one, is biological reproduction. There's just no getting around this. And this is not possible in a homosexual situation. Actually, there's more than just the bodily aspect of sexuality that's important here. There's also an emotional and spiritual component to this opposite sex compatibility, the natural way, God's way, God's design. There's a emotional and spiritual component to this opposite sex compatibility that is important in marriage and also in providing the proper environment for having and raising children. Mothers and fathers each have a distinctive contribution and a complementary and complementary gifts to help raise their offspring and for their the well-being of each other, the husband and wife. To put it In contemporary terms, parenting is not gender neutral. 
Now, we need to recognize that God can help a, a single parent that looks to him for raising a child, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a situation that's against nature, against the way God has made the male and the female. In short, it should be obvious to anyone who does not suppress the truth in unrighteousness that homosexuality is not God's design for marriage and family. That's just the bottom line. It should be clear if you're not suppressing the truth for some unrighteous reason that this is what is God's design. Now, I'd like to shift the focus a bit by saying that I think up to this point in Western culture, heterosexuals have done far more damage to the sanctity of marriage than homosexuals. Through fornication, adultery, pornography, unbiblical divorce, I say unbiblical because there are some biblical allowances for divorce, and just plain selfishness, marriage was already in bad shape before the present homosexual activism started up. In fact, one of the reasons that homosexuality is gaining such ground is that the world has seen so little of what a godly marriage can and should be. But I think this is about to change. It looks to me like homosexual marriage is about to be accepted in most of Western culture. It's a big push right now in the United States. As that happens, our culture will continue to crumble. It's just the reality that a society that accepts things like this is going downhill. A society will only be as healthy and as strong as the family units that constitute it. As families are fragmented and dysfunctional, society will be that way also. Cultures die when the proper view of marriage dies. <coughs> Once we set aside the natural male-female one-flesh union view of marriage in favor of marriage as individuals choose to define it, well, then any marriage arrangement is possible. For instance, once you've accepted homosexual marriage, who's to say that we can't have group marriage? That is, five men and three women, or the other way around. Who's to say that we can't have incestuous marriage? That is, a father marrying a daughter, or a mother marrying a son. Who's to say that we can't have even more perverted forms of marriage? Pedophilia, polygamy. Who's to say you can't marry a rock if you want to? 
If marriage is just a socially constructed arrangement as a result of human preference, it's hard to see how any marriage arrangement can rightly be banned. On top of this, the legal endorsement of homosexual marriage could well be the precursor to persecution of Christians and others who take a stand against it. Here are some forms that such persecution might take as indicated by actions that are already taking place in the United States and Canada and Western Europe. Now, I, uh, I'm reading from an article by Ph.D. Robert Gagnon, and uh, he's just going through any documents where these things are already happening. I didn't, I didn't include the examples, but he has documentation for each one of these. So here's what, here's what happens and is happening already. You'll have compulsory indoctrination of children in schools. This will be taught as right and proper. It's already happening. Also, in the workplace, homosexual practices are to be presented as moral and a civil right. You'll have job discrimination, termination, and imposition of fines on people who express contrary views towards homosexual practices within and even outside the workplace. You'll have forced subsidizing of homosexual union unions through taxes. You'll have forced offering of goods and services that directly advance and promote homosexual practices, irrespective of the degree to which the conscience of the provider may be violated. This includes, but not limited to, adoption services, foster parenting, health care providers, those who provide wedding services, the legal profession, print shops, and really all businesses with employees. You'll have severe restrictions on broadcasting and in the print media against homophobic, so-called homophobic utterances as civil rights violations that will incur financial penalties or loss of the license. Limitations will also be extended to free speech in the marketplace because such speech is considered hate speech. You have sanctions against Christian colleges and seminaries which allow, quote, discrimination against gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgenders, which will involve fines, losses of federal funds, uh, loss of tax exemption, and loss of accreditation. These things are already happening. Persons who express the view that homosexual practice is immoral will be particular targets of persecution that will be likened to racist and their civil liberties will be lessened accordingly. Proponents of the homosexual agenda have been 
making the analogy to racism for decades. Don't be surprised when the analogy is codified in the law. Everything that they've done in terms of racism will also be done towards anyone that is considered to be against the civil rights of the homosexual. So, not a very pleasant outlook. It all sounds pretty bad, the direction that things are going. But, as they say, the darker it gets, the brighter the stars shine. The problem is that we'll be tempted to fight fire with fire. When denunciations and intolerance come our way, we'll be tempted to answer in kind. But truth-telling means we must not inflate claims or distort data. We must be concerned not to misrepresent others or stereotype those that do so to us. And instead of fighting fire with fire, we must fight fire with the word, with the water of the word, spoken and lived in love. When the dark days come, and they're coming, truly loving marriages will stand out. Truly loving actions will stand out. Truly loving words will stand out. Broken people that God has begun to heal in Christ will stand out. They'll stand up, and they'll stand out. So, such were some of you. I was thinking of this verse in Philippians, as one to close with. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ we may have cause to glory because we did not run in vain or toil in vain. But just that phrase, appear as lights in the world. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, this is the way things are going more and more. What are we to be? We're to appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Well, that's just a very brief uh, presentation of some thoughts related to this subject of homosexuality. There's so many areas that a person could go into, but I... I just felt like maybe that's enough to get us um, thinking on this subject along scriptural grounds. I hope in some way it was edifying.